right. When I was a kid, I played basketball. Broke a few windows. Missed a few times. Do you know what we call missing in church? We call it sin. Sounds like a different kind of word, doesn't it? But we do. Here's my granddaughter, and here's what she says. good? She calls it almost. You know why she calls it almost? Because her grandfather keeps saying almost. I'm trying to encourage her, right? If I said, you missed, you missed all the time, it would be kind of discouraging. I don't know about you, but my life misses the mark all the time. And I can get pretty discouraged about that. But we're going to be spending a little time in the Word tonight, um, and I hope it's an encouragement to you. Um, we have a passage, we have one verse, but it's 2 Tim 2.2, 2, 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. And it's really the culmination. If you read through the Gospels at the end of Matthew, for example, Jesus says what? Go into all the world and make disciples. Give me a word, a synonym for a disciple. What's that? Okay. Apprentice, very good. A mentor e. Discipleship's kind of a word that we use in church a lot, but you don't hear it anywhere else, do you? So we're going to talk a little bit more, unfold it. But when Jesus was done spending three years with the disciples and he said, go into the world and make disciples, they knew exactly what he meant. Why? Because they had just been through three years of it. Paul comes along and Paul has a, a protege named Timothy. And Timothy's a little bit of a different guy. Timothy's not like Paul at all. As best we can tell, Timothy was pretty timid. And so Paul starts the second verse by saying what? He says, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And for Timothy, this was a big deal because Timothy wasn't by nature a strong guy. And so what Paul was saying is, Lean on his grace because it will provide you strength when you by yourself are not necessarily strong. Huh? We get the sense of Timothy being timid uh, in the chapter even before that where it says that God has not given us a spirit of timidity but one of what? Power, love, and discipline. So this is our Timothy and our strong Paul and their relationship together. And Paul's saying, look, I'm leaving it all to you. I'm going to turn my ministry over to you, and I'm going to give you some advice. And so what's his advice? Uh, his advice is this. And the things that you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust a faithful man who will be competent to teach others also. I want to unpack it just a little bit tonight with you. And, uh, and to start with... There are many things that made up a gospel. Jesus spent three years with his disciples. It wasn't just one simple little thing, right? So the things, the, the multitude of the things that you've heard from me, Paul saying, in the presence of many witnesses, this means that Paul took Timothy lots of places he went. 
In our ministry, we talk about four phases of leadership. And those four phases of leadership are as follows. First, I do it, and my Timothy is with me. Second, I do it, and my Timothy is what? Helping me. The third phase of leadership is now Timothy's doing it, and I'm helping Timothy. And at the end of the day, Timothy's doing it, and what? I'm way in the background. One more time. I do it, and Timothy's watching me. Second phase, I do it, and Timothy's helping me. The third phase is what? Timothy's doing it, and I'm helping him. And the fourth phase is Timothy's doing it, and I'm way in the background. Where are you in a relationship with somebody who is your Paul? The one funny thing about this passage that Paul and Timothy had no problem doing was identifying each other. Right? Paul knew he was Paul, and Timothy knew he was Timothy. But if you're learning from somebody, if somebody's teaching you, do they know that you're learning from them? Have you told them that you are my Paul and I'm here to learn from you? And conversely, if you're trying to pour your life into somebody and they're your Timothy, do they know that you're trying to do that? Do you have that Paul and Timothy relationship? So you're going to need to do something Paul and Timothy didn't have to do, and that is to ID each other. You're going to have to be able to share. Look, my job is to pour my life into you and my ministry and so forth. And today I want to walk through several of the Pauls in my life. And with each of them, I, I hope to share with you a little bit of what they did for me and their character When we are working with a Timothy, we're trying to identify somebody that we can pour our lives into, we're looking for fat people. Now, this isn't like me who's eaten a little bit too much, but this is an acronym for three different characteristics. And the first characteristic is, I had this problem this morning. Help me, Rhonda, there we go. Is faithful. We're looking for people who are faithful. What's it mean to be faithful? Give me a synonym for faithful. Reliable. Reliable. Somebody that can be counted on, right? Let me give you an example of my faithlessness. If I tell you I'm going to be there at 3 o'clock and I come at 3.15, I've missed the mark, haven't I? I've sinned, I've missed the mark. And if I do that over and over and over again, what happens? You get ready to expect me to miss the mark, right? I am faithless. I am not keeping what my promises. God is faithful, and we're looking for people who can be faithful, and their word can be counted on. Secondly, we're looking for people who are available. This is one of the toughest things we do these days. Why? Our schedules are jam-packed, aren't they? If you had a Paul and you wanted to find time to spend with Paul... What, where would it fit in your schedule? Pretty hard to do, isn't it? So faithful, available, and teachable. We're looking for people who are faithful, available, and teachable. I wasn't much of any of those three. I, I, I wasn't as faithful as I should be, and I tried to be available, and I tried to be teachable, but as I go through some of my Paul's and our experiences, I, I think you'll see... Uh, how, how they really helped me out. The first Paul in my life was a guy named Bai Quinn. 
The guy on the left, the guy on the right's my dad, and they were best buddies. And I knew by Quinn because the Tuckers and the Quins did everything together. We went camping together, did everything together. So our families were like this. And so my best friends were the Quins, and he was uh, my mentor. He was a professor of mechanical engineering. I went into mechanical engineering largely because of him. He gave me great advice in engineering. He gave me great advice, advice in ministry. And um, so I would call him a father figure mentor to me. Second one was Jim Quinn. That's his younger son. Jim was my best friend. He was my college roommate. And he became a Christian shortly after he went into college. And I, I thought I was a Christian. I grew up in the church. I went to church every Sunday. And I figured being a Christian was a little bit like parking a skateboard in a garage. I figured if I parked that skateboard long enough in the garage, it would become a car. But it didn't. And I realized I needed to take a step of faith. And I had to say, I accept you into my life. And so it was Jim Quinn who explained that to me. And he spent two years of his life really pouring his life into mine. And he did it in kind of a funny way. He just lived a life as a Christian right in front of me. He struggled, prayed about it. Every morning we, we read scripture together. We read Psalms together. We read Proverbs together. Mostly we read Proverbs together. And I have a funny quick story of Jim and I doing Proverbs. For some reason, Jim decided we were going to sleep in the... This was Indiana at Purdue University, and it's cold outside. And we slept with the window wide open. So first thing in the morning, you know, the Listerine bottle is already foggy. It's so cold in the room. And so one of us would have to get up and turn on the heat and close the window. And we would pray through five verses of Proverbs at a time. And one morning, I fell asleep during this process. And I was on the upper bunk so I could be closer to God. And I dropped my Bible onto the floor. And so I had to hop out of my sleeping bag, my down sleeping bag I had to sleep in because it was so cold. And I hopped up and grabbed my Bible and I sat down for the rest of our time together, freezing, right? Didn't fall asleep again. Jim was a good friend. We spent lots of time together. We camped in Yosemite. Uh, I would call him... A Paul that was a best friend kind of a guy. The next one is Jim Tozer. The Jim Tozer was a senior pastor in a church that Terry and I ministered in. And how a young college kid gets 16 hours a month with a senior pastor is amazing. But Jim was really committed to me, and he was committed to spending time with me. And so he had me drive him to, um, to presbytery meetings. He hated to drive. I love driving, so... I would drive him, he'd talk to me for two hours, and he'd go to Presbyterian meetings, I'd do homework, we'd drive back for two hours. And then every Thursday, we visited in hospitals together, and it was great, we spent three hours doing that. Jim also wrote a book about uh, discipling, the, disciple, uh, the dynamics of a discipling church, um, really impacted me, especially in philosophy of ministry. Stan Ott probably spent more time one-on-one -on -one with me than anybody else. And Stan was an amazing guy. He was an associate pastor under Jim. And he spent about two to three hours every Thursday with me. And why did he have to spend that much time? Because I wasn't getting it. <laughs> he, he would teach me things, and I would be able to answer the questions, but I wasn't doing it. And this is the point with Scripture, is most of Scripture isn't really all that hard to understand, 
but it's really hard to do. So he was really application-oriented. Stan spent lots and lots of time with me, and when we couldn't spend time together, he would be disappointed in it. And one time I was supposed to play golf with some colleagues, and I called up Stan and said, I can't meet with you this Thursday because I've got to play golf. And he said, how about if I carry your clubs for you? And he did. Carried my clubs for 18 holes so he could share with me. With me principal, find that time. That was Stan. Uh, next is, uh, next is Jim Simmons, if we can get Jim Simmons. Uh, something's happened to my, there we go. Jim Simmons was not only my mentor, he was also Terry's mentor long before mine. And he spent uh, lots and lots of time with Terry. So much so that even though she only did two years of college, she's been mentoring several people who have been working on their Master of Divinity down at Denver Seminary. And it's all stuff that Jim Simmons taught her. Jim uh, liked my guitar. He also, uh, this is me in the bottom corner. I was a little rough looking about that. Needed to shave, I think. But he really taught me a lot about worship and how worship fits into to life and ministry. And lastly, we have Jim DeMoler. I've known Jim since, what, 1982 or something like that. And uh, this is the way I like to think of Jim. This, this picture makes him, to me, look like Paul, right? Does that look like Paul? So uh, that's my Paul, is Jim DeMoler. He's been my Paul for a long, long time. And uh, I want to go through a, a few of his characteristics that I've noticed about him, and maybe you've noticed some different things, but um, th this, th these characteristics are, are really of a quality guy. First of all, servanthood. He talks about being a servant leader, but he also does it. I've never seen him once um, be threatened by somebody who had a bigger idea or something they wanted to do. And... All the time, he's always trying to think of how he can serve people. Prayer, we're in a building today because he prayed. It's as simple as that. We uh, couldn't buy this property, and we couldn't buy this property, and we couldn't buy this property, and he walked this property for 13 years praying that God would give us the property. And so he's a man of prayer, and he knows the power of prayer. He's, he's a WYSIWYG kind of guy. What you see is what you get. You don't see Jim being one thing, and his, he's really somehow something else. So he, he really exhibits exactly what he is. Um, steady as she goes. His blood pressure never seems to go up, never seems to go down, doesn't seem to be depressed, doesn't be, seem to be too overly excited. Rock steady kind of guy. And that's what we needed when we got him. And lastly... He, he likes to apply scripture, and he likes to preach in such a way that we can apply scripture. And so one of the things I want to do tonight is to encourage you to do something. So we're going to be really application-oriented tonight. If you don't have a Paul yet, you already do with Jim. You already do with Jim. And so here's what I want to do. I want to, I want to share with you that every Sunday I take notes, and I take notes in a, a notebook. And I have a three-volume set here of Jim DeMoller Greatest Hits from taking notes every week. Why do I take notes? Why do you think I take notes? To remember what's been said, right? 
Lots of studies have been done on this. And do you know that when people stand up in front of you like me tonight, on average, you'll retain about 5% of what I say. Why? You're thinking of other things. I didn't say much that was very important. <laughs> There's a lot of possibilities. But at the end of the day, you're not going to remember much of what I said unless you took notes. But it turns out that if you take notes, you, you retain 10 times as much. Almost half of what somebody will say you will remember simply by taking notes. If you never go back and look at those notes ever again in your life, you'll still retain about half of what somebody said. And then if you go back and review those notes, you'll retain something like 90% of what people say. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? What do you have to do that's better when you're listening to a sermon than taking notes? You're sitting here not doing much of anything, right? I have two brand new notebooks. So the first two people that come up and find me tonight get brand new notebooks, I think with leather covers even. So I want to encourage you to be taking notes. It's, it's the best way to be learning. And you've got your own Paul. In ter terms of discipleship, um, there are three areas I want to kind of cover with you tonight. One is, one is simple mentoring. And... Um, my Timothys, I've had a couple Timothys. One of them was uh, Jonah Haddad, and Jonah came to us as a student down at Denver Seminary, and he wanted to become a missionary to France. Now, what am I going to be able to teach a guy? I haven't been to seminary. What am I going to be able to teach a guy who's going to seminary and wanting to go into ministry? Well, I can teach him a little bit about how a church works. We decided we would ask him to be an elder in this church, and we decided we would try to help him understand how churches function. He's going to be planting churches in France. So Jim and I spent a fair amount of time uh, with Jonah, and I wanted to get some individual time with him. The other was Mark DeMoller. And uh, Mark uh, had started out life going to college in Alaska, which is a really long ways away. Like me, he wanted to kind of get away, as far away from home as he could, I went to San Francisco from Indiana. He went to Alaska from Denver. And uh, so I wanted to get time with both of these guys. And it sort of dawned on me, wait a second, instead of trying to find time for each of these guys, how about if the three of us get together? And so that's what we ended up doing. This was the group of three of us. So something about Mark, um, he goes to Alaska. I, I warned him when he went to Alaska it was going to rain. Juneau, Alaska, it rains. Every day it rains in Juneau, Alaska. And he didn't quite believe me. He goes there, he said, in the semester he went there, there were two days it did not rain all semester. You grew up in Colorado, it's sunny almost every day. You go to Juneau, Alaska, you go through one semester, you come back to Colorado, right? But he left a really lasting impression when he was in Alaska. So much so that when Terry and I took a cruise up there, we had a day in Juneau, we went back to his college to see where he went to school. And here are some of the things we saw. First of all, there's a statue there. And right in front of the statue, I don't know if you can read that sign, but it says, everywhere we went, this was the library. There was signs about Mark having been there. Couches. That's great. You know, of course, I'm kidding, right? But when you see Mark next, you can just tell him, you know, I understand that you left a lasting impression in Alaska. 
What's the principle of this that I want to get through? And that is that things oftentimes in, in mentoring are best done with more than one. Why? First of all, you multiply your time, right? You're not just pouring your life into one person. You can pour your life into more than one. And there's a dynamic between people that helps in mentoring. Uh, Jim and I were also blessed that we spent enough time with Jonah that we got put in his foreword of his book. That was kind of a bonus. We have growth groups in this church, and growth groups are probably the best way that mentoring, that Paul, Timothy kinds of relationships can happen in this church. We try to do it where we spend time in the Word, and we try to do it where we share lives and pray together, and where those two things intersect is what Paul's talking about, right? And the things you've heard instill into other people. When we go back to that, how many generations was Paul talking about? Paul, Timothy, faithful men, others also. Four generations. And here we do this in growth groups. So if you're not in a growth group, I would really encourage you this autumn. We, we have sign-ups usually right after Labor Day. It's one of the principal core ministries at Bergen Park Church. Lastly, I want to talk a little bit about parenting. Because parenting is one of the, the easiest ways to be mentoring. But when you're, when you're parenting, um, you have to be careful of some things. Uh, in, in this passage in, Tim, in Timothy, Paul talks previously about Timothy's grandmother and Timothy's mother. And so it doesn't have to be a dad mentoring a son. It doesn't have to be a mom mentoring a daughter. It can be opposite sex things. And if apparently, the grandmother and the mother were really significant in Timothy's life. And in my life, I, same thing. Um, my mom, my grandmother were, were really influential in my life. My grandmother prayed for me. I know every single day. So a couple things to talk about in terms of um, discipleship in this church. First of all, this church can help you with parenting. We've, we've got a lot of experienced people. One of our philosophies is, is really multi-generational things. So as, as a young parent, if you're having questions about how to do it, there, there are a lot of us old farts that have been around and uh, can share some things. So I want to share a little bit with you. First thing is kids are different in a family. These are my two boys. When they were young, it was pretty obvious they were different, right? When, when they grew up, they're a little less obvious that they're different, but they're really different kids. And they were different in their relationship with the Lord as well as different in personality. And uh, so when Paul came along, he, he, he really had no problem uh, accepting Christ. He had no problem in his relationship with God. And uh, yet when Mark came along, he, he warned me early on. He said, Dad, I, I, I'm not going to believe really easily. I thought this is great. He's kind of showed a little bit of a challenge. I thought, I'm going to... I tried to share with him, and, and I found it difficult because I kept trying to fill his head with things, and yet he was looking for God. And I'll, I want to share just two quick stories about Mark that, that, that were significant in his life and his relationship with the Lord. Mark was a hockey player. He loved hockey. He lived for hockey. And when he came, became a senior in high school, he had played hockey. This was his seventh year. And he had gotten better and better every year. He was now senior, excited about hockey, and he went to hockey tryouts. And of course, he's going to make the team, right? 
goes three nights of tryouts. And he goes the first night, and he comes home, and he's all excited, and he goes back for the second night of tryouts. And he didn't know that he was supposed to look on the web page to find out if he had been cut the first night. And he had been cut the first night. So work with me on this. He, he's showing up for tryouts a second night when he's really not invited back the second night. This is pretty awkward, right? The coach says, what, what do you think the coach says? Sure, you can try out again tonight, right? It's pretty uncomfortable. So Mark tries out the second night, and we get home, and that night we look online, and guess what? He'd been cut again. This is tough. This is a kid whose his entire life is hockey. He's a senior in high school, and he's been cut two nights in a row in hockey. What do you say to your child in a situation like that? He's wondering, where is God when I need him? And what do you say? You better say these kind of words. And that's what I told him. I don't know. But what I do know is God is a good God. And I have no idea why he's letting this happen, but I know he's letting this happen for a reason. You still cry, right? So we sit on the bed and we cry together for an hour, it must have been. What happens? The, associate, the assistant coach calls us up and says, I've talked to the coach, and we'd like Mark to come try out on night three. Well, there's a little hope, but what? I've already lost two times in a row, right? Am I really going to make the team? So he goes and tries out the third night, and he makes the team. But he's a defenseman, and they put him on the fourth line of offense. During the season, he works his way up to the third line of offense, and the Later, the second line, and he ends the year playing the first line of offense, and in the state championship, he scores the go-ahead goal. Would not have done that if he was playing defense. He goes off to Purdue to play, and real quick story there, he is trying out, and there's like 100 and some people for 20-some positions. And the coach says, I want all the offense on this side, all the defense on this side, and he's a He's an engineering major, so he's pretty good at math. And he goes, wait a second, I'm going to need twice as many offenses as defense? And there's about the same number on either side? He says, yes, I am offense. Think about it. If he hadn't played offense his senior year, he never would have made the team in college. So he made the team, and he ended up being the fifth highest scorer that year. Fast forward to graduate school. He goes to graduate school to study under the, the number one guy in the world in engineering, University of Wisconsin. And he went there. The professor said, come, uh, we, we, we want you. And uh, everything was set to go. And he spends the first semester doing kind of the prelim stuff. And then they're supposed to sign up with whichever professors they're interested in studying under, who, who they want their major professor to be. So they have a bulletin board. And you get to pencil in your name with whatever professor. They want you to do it with three or four different professors. What's Mark do? There's one professor. Come on. He asked me to come. He goes up, writes his name under this professor, James Dumezic. Finds out that the professor doesn't have funding. 
and Mark's not going to be able to study with the professor. Mark calls me up and he says, Dad, what do I do? I came here to study with this guy. He doesn't have funding. What do I do? What did I say? Let's pray about it. I said, do you think you ought to go to another school that you got it? No, he says, I feel God's calling me here, but I don't know. The very next day, he goes to the mailbox, opens it up. There's a letter in the mailbox, and it's a scholarship letter from 3M that says you can study anything you want to study. He gets to study with that professor. God's faithful. I didn't need to do a lot in Mark's life for him to, to be rooted and grounded in the Lord. He needed to see God going to bat for him, and God did. I'm going to give you three quick principles and we'll be done. First principle is one we've talked about, the with me principle. You're never going to have a good Paul-Timothy relationship if you don't get time with somebody. And the first way we talked about getting time with somebody is taking notes during the sermon, right? But you're going to need that with me time with people. Second principle is this. You can lead out of weakness as well as strength. You may be like me and say, why, why would a Timothy want to learn from me? What, what do I have to share with another generation spiritually? I don't have much to share. Well, realize you can lead out of weakness as well as strength. If you think about it, almost every character in Scripture, other than Jesus, almost every character in Scripture, what? Had a weakness, right? And who was strong in the study, in, in the story? God was strong. So even though you may not feel like you have a strength to, to pass on to somebody, you do. And lastly, um, this is one of my favorites. When, when we were kids, our parents taught us what? If something's worth doing, it's worth doing. A little louder. If something's worth doing, it's worth doing. Well. And what do we mean? What, do we, what did my mom mean when she said that? She meant, Bobby, don't do it half-heartedly. If you're going to do something, you know, do it with gusto. Do it, do the best you can at it, right? And was she right? Of course she was right. So what do I mean by this? If it's worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. What I mean is most of us, if we don't think we can do something really well, what? We don't do it. We don't think necessarily we can be a good Paul to somebody. So we aren't going to do it. And what I'm saying is, if something's really worth doing, it's worth doing. Even if you don't do it perfectly. Even if it's almost. Let's pray. Father, I bless you for Paul. I bless you that he pulled Timothy alongside and he gave him some real wisdom. He poured his life into Timothy, and Timothy, not like him, different personality, and yet Paul worked with Timothy, and we know about it today because Paul was successful at doing that. Lord, there are many of us who don't feel like we have anything to give another generation. And so first of all, Lord, I just pray for, for each of us, if, if we don't know who our Paul is, that you would lead us to a Paul. If we don't know who can be our spiritual mentor, that you would reveal that to us. 
Secondly, Lord, if we, if we haven't figured out who we might be able to pour our life into, Lord, I pray that you would share with us who our Timothy might be. Lord, I pray for lasting relationships that are built on the back of the with me principle. I pray for us getting time with our Pauls, time with our Timothys. Lord, if, if nothing else, I pray we would leave ready to take notes, ready to learn. And as you change our life and you change others' lives through us, Lord, we'll give you the praise and glory because we love you a lot. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said.